Well, hey, if you uh, are new here with us, I just want to say welcome again. My name is Joe Polino, and I serve as the lead pastor here. just want to welcome you all to church this morning. Um, man, wasn't this morning good? Just the worship music, just feel the presence of God. I just love being in, in, this, in this place together. I love that we can gather together. Um, well, hey, I want to invite up my friend Josh Groth to the stage. Let me give Josh a hand. Josh is a good friend of mine, a life group leader. He's also probably the most uh, well-dressed man in our church, one of the most. He actually helped me get a suit the other day, uh, not where he works at, another suit shop that was a little bit uh, cheaper, but uh, he helped me out. Um, and uh, Josh is up here. He's a faithful man of God, faithful friend. He's going to read our scripture for the day. He's going to read our scripture for the day. So it's going to uh, be on the screens. And at the end, after Josh reads the scripture, uh, he's going to say, this is God's word. And then the congregation's response is going to be, thanks be to God. We want to be thankful for God's word. Okay, so Josh, take it away. All right, we're going to read Matthew 4, 18 through 25. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting their, a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will... I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and the people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering with severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, and Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan, all across the Jordan, followed him. This is God's word. Thank you, Josh. Last week, we had our Vision Sunday, which we do two times a year, one time at the beginning of the year and one time kind of towards the beginning of the start of the school year. And in Vision Sunday, what I shared last week was that we are in year two of a three-year vision of a, as a church, uh, which we are moving from being a spiritual greenhouse to becoming a what? A farm. Spiritual greenhouse to a farm. If you weren't here last week, you're probably very confused but I'm not going to go back over that, that message. But I just want to point you back to that. But in, in summary, what we feel like God is leading us to be as a church is not only a place where people can come and meet Jesus, learn about him and be nurtured, kind of like a plant is in a greenhouse, but we're also meant to be a place where we are like a farm or we are a place of blessing, not just for one generation, but for the next and the next for the long haul that we would be a blessing in our city as a church, blessing to God and blessing our city. That's who God is making Antioch Dallas to be. And so that's what we shared. And so in year one, last year, our focus was that we would uh, be one with God and be one with one another. It was a focus on unity. I shared last week, this year, 2024, our phrase that we're leaning into is that we want to walk with Jesus together. I think it was just up there on the side. We want to walk with Jesus together. And as I was thinking about our phrase, walk with Jesus together, uh, I was thinking about my youngest son named Bo. Uh, Bo is about 18 months old, 
Uh, he's a year and a half old, and he just began to take his first steps. So there's a picture of Bo. He's walking. It happened. Uh, so if you don't know or don't have kids, that's, that's pretty delayed in your development. And so we were rejoicing that he was walking as any parent would do, but we also were a little relieved because we were starting to wonder if we're feeding him too much food. Uh, Bo's a big boy, just wondering if we are hindering his progress uh, by adding to his girth. Um, but he, he did it. He's walking. And as he was walking, uh, I also was thinking it was significant of where he started walking. Uh, so he did not start walking at our house. I was not, actually not present. Um, but Amy, my wife, uh, and Meredith Tapey were going to visit the Cho's house. Uh, so Kevin and Bree Cho, right back there. Love the Cho's. Cho's have been faithful members, servant leaders in our church for years, have just refreshed others, have helped other people experience Jesus, and many people are here because of the Cho's. Uh, but uh, recently, uh, Brie Cho uh, injured her Achilles heel, and so she had surgery to repair that. And so Amy and Meredith took the kids and brought them a meal, and were just visiting with Brie. And as, uh, at, at the end of visiting, the kids were playing, and so the wives were praying together, and they said, we want to pray for you, Bree, that you would be healed, that you would be able to walk. Uh, there's some things that they want to do as a family that they don't want these plans to be hindered, and so they were just praying, Lord, would you heal her? Would you help her to walk? Would you, would you, uh, would you speed up the recovery? So as they're praying for Bree, guess who comes walking down the hallway on his own for the first time? <laughs> Bo starts walking down the hallway to, to Amy, uh, my wife, and was walking for the first time. And all three of the ladies were like, ah, he's walking. And so I'm getting this relayed over the phone. And I'm like, how did that happen? Apparently, your prayers are powerful, but your aim is really bad. <laughs> so there's my dad joke for the morning. No guarantee it's the last one. Um, but all jokes aside, like as they were there, all three of those ladies, Bree, Meredith, and, and Amy, were all just so excited and cheering as Bo kind of wobbled down, you know, with his big frame and was falling every few steps. But he was doing it. He was doing it. And I was just thinking, like, as Bo took a few steps and then he fell down. And as Bo took a few more steps and fell down, and he kept doing this over and over again, do you think there was any thought at all in those, uh, in those three ladies' minds of any critical thought about Bo's walking technique? Do you think they thought, oh, man, if he would just, you know, balance his weight a little bit more? No. There was not any ounce of critique or criticism. There was only pure joy, right? Only pure joy. And, you know, just kind of go with me a little bit. Let's just imagine we could get into Bo's, uh, you know, little one-year-old mind. What if he was like, you know what? This walking thing's actually pretty painful. <laughs> I, 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 I'm walking up and I'm falling in the wall. I'm falling down every three steps. You know, what if I just go back to my old way of crawling? Actually, his first mode of transportation was actually bum shuffling, like on the floor. No joke. Only kid to do that. And he was like, what if that was what he just stayed at? He said, this is actually more comfortable. Uh, it's familiar. This is where I'm going to stay. What, what do you think we as parents would try to entreat him? Trust me, it's going to be better if you keep walking. 
if you keep walking. And so I feel like that picture is in ways an encouragement to us for one, to see how God sees us when we walk with him, to see how he sees us. Do you think he's like, oh man, that was a good try, but you, you stumbled there. I guess you're never going to learn how to walk with me. I guess that's just going to be the way, that's just going to be your lot in life. That's just going to, this is as far as you get. No, the father's heart is the same one that we have towards our kids, except more. If we who are imperfect and impatient parents, maybe feeding our kids too much, like not helping them, uh, if we are that imperfect, and in fact, Jesus says, if you who are evil give good gifts to your children, how much more does your father in heaven desire to give you the Holy Spirit? right? So that is a, is a picture just as we come to the Lord, like let us not uh, shy away from things that we're going to stumble at, that it's going to take some time to learn. Let us not shy away from that. And let's also remember that God is rejoicing over you every step of faith that you take. You know, some of us can think that God is disappointed with us if we don't catch on to following Jesus right away. We can think he's critical. We can think that he has a critical eye on us. You know, but we have to realize that this tendency to expect instant results is not because maybe you have an A-type personality or whatever. It's a message that we are all saturated with 24-7 in our instant society. So just to kind of paint a picture, sometimes we have to realize that if we're going to be formed in the way of Jesus, that there's other things forming us actively that we need to be aware of. And this is one of those things of this instant change or instant results. There is pressure to feel like you need to be farther along or be at a different stage in your life or career or status or bank account. You know, and we, we think that if a product doesn't transform our life and lives in 30 days, like we get to take it back, you know, money back guaranteed. And by all means, if you have a, a tool or a leaf blower that's not working, yeah, take it back. But you can't apply that mentality to relationship with God. You cannot apply that to any kind of healthy community or family or marriage because that takes, that, takes, uh, self that takes sacrificial love. That takes forgiveness. That takes honesty. That takes time. All that stuff like trust takes time to develop. I love how um, Eugene Peterson in his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, just seems to hit the nail on the head when he describes this. I think we have a quote up there that says, yes, it says, we assume that if anything can be done at all, it can be done quickly and efficiently. Our attention spans have been conditioned by 30-second commercials. Our sense of reality has been flattened by 30-page abridg abridgments. It is not difficult in such a world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel. It is terrifically difficult to sustain the interest. There is a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue, little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. Woo! When Jesus calls us to come to him and follow him, he's calling us to a lifelong covenant relationship with him where we learn to become like him. In January and early February, we sat in this passage in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, where Jesus is inviting anyone within earshot, and he's inviting anyone within earshot now to come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
He's not pointing to a, anything outside of himself to give you rest. He's pointing to him. Come to me. And then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we saturated in this passage. And this passage isn't just for our 21 days of prayer and fasting. I believe it is for really a lifelong kind of picture of Jesus. I want to be in the yoke with you. I, want to, I don't want to be in a yoke of the world or by myself or independence or whatever. I want to be in your yoke because your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Why is that? Because he's in the yoke with us. Amen? So we're going to look at, okay, if that's the case, where do we go from here? How do we as a church walk with Jesus together? And my hope this morning is that we will see God's love a little bit more rightly, or we would be reminded of God's love that he's inviting us into, and also his invitation to follow him and walk with him together. And, I believe, and I'm trying to set us up for the next five weeks leading up to Easter. So does that sound good? You guys with me for the rest of the talk? Okay, so let's dive in. We're going to dig into this Matthew 4.18 passage. And the first thing that I just want to highlight that we're going to see is that to walk with God we must see how God first walks towards us and calls to us, okay? And if we want to walk with God, it's not our idea. It's actually his idea first. He is walking to us, towards us first and is calling to us. So in verse 18, let's read again. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. So we see Jesus walking along the Sea of Galilee. He sees these two brothers who are fishermen, and he calls out to them, come, follow me, come walk with me. And they, they obey. They drop their nets and follow him. So before, just to understand, I mean, we can see literally that it was not the two brothers' idea to follow Jesus. It was Jesus walking towards them. But I want to just zoom out for a second and help us see the story above all stories, the headline above all headlines. And that's the story of Scripture. We can get so focused in on the day-to-day, -day, we can forget the larger arcing narrative of where we're at. And so what we have here is a, a graphic up here. This is the arc of the story of the Bible. This is the story that we are all living in of that it began in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the first verse in the whole Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you wanna start memorizing scripture, that's a profound one to memorize. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then you see in Genesis 1, that there's an unfolding of each day. There's a different thing that God creates. He, he creates light, and then he separates light from the darkness. And then he creates separation between the waters. And then there's, there's land, and there's water, and then there's creatures. And on and on he goes until he gets to day six. Day six. And then day six, he says, let us make man in our image in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish, the sea, the birds, so they may rule over all creation. And I just want to point this out right here. 
I feel like this is something that we can glaze over sometimes. When it says we made man in our image, that is the first inclination in, in Genesis that, that God is, uh, is actually the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That before creation, in eternity past, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit existed. And then out of that love, out of that community, that is where we come from. Now, the Trinity, admittedly, can be a little bit of a head-scratcher to understand, but it's profound if we actually contemplate what does this mean for us as people in our world. This is what uh, John Mark Comer says about the Trinity that I found helpful in his book, Practicing the Way. In all of Jesus's teachings, what we call God is a mysterious but beautiful way, a flow of love between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is a community of self-giving love. Each member of the Trinity, as theologians call them, is distinct yet somehow still one. To be with the Spirit is to be with Jesus, and to be with Jesus is to be with the Father. It's to enter in the flow of love within the inner life of God. So that is what we're made for. If you think about if love was there before time began, then that's when God is love. And it says in 1 Corinthians 13, the, uh, faith, hope, and love remain, but the greatest of these is love. It's because one day your faith is going to become sight. One day your hope is going to be realized, but love's going to remain because it was there in the beginning. And not only that, God is a communal God, a self-giving God. And so we're made for relationship. We're made for relationship with God. We're made for relationship with one another. That's what we're made for. And in Genesis 3, 8 through 9, it says that the man and his wife, Adam and Eve, the first people that God created, they heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord and God, hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. We were made to walk with God. That was his intent. But the, the second point is that there was sin. There's a fall. There's brokenness. We can see good in the world. We can also see brokenness. But the Lord God called to the man and he said, where are you? The man answered, said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, and God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here, with me, she gave me some fruit of the tree and ate it. The first, uh, you know, first evidence of sin. You got the pointing of the finger, right? The woman that you gave me. So he really is blaming God and the woman at the same time. Not a good move. Verse 13, then the Lord God said to the woman, who, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, then I ate. And in these verses, we see a picture of the, of the story above all stories, that we're made for relationship with God, but the greatest sin, the greatest separation that it caused was that we can no longer walk in relationship with God because we chose instead to believe the lie that Satan presented to them that we're better off on our own and that God is not trustworthy. And so because of that separation, there's, there's just over and over again, brokenness and brokenness that comes in our world. So when we come to this passage where Jesus is walking, Jesus is walking and he's calling disciples. If you put back up that graphic, that the Old Testament, the entire book of the Old Testament is, 
pointing to this day that there is going to be a servant. There is going to be someone who's going to, uh, who's, who's going to crush the head of the serpent and the serpent's going to strike his heel. In other words, there is a light of all nations that is coming, not only for the people of Israel, but it's through Abraham, through, uh, through Isaac, through Jacob, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm making a covenant with you so that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Why? So that we can again walk with God and that Jesus will come and pay the price, the atonement, the separation that no one could be good enough to ever get back to the garden. No one could ever partake of the tree of life that he paid it for you and me. Amen? He paid it for us on the cross. But he's coming and he's calling people to himself. He's calling disciples to himself. Come and follow me because I will also make you a fisher of people. I am on a mission God is a missional God, so he is calling a missional family to follow with him. So when we say we want to walk with Jesus, it is one believing in who he is, but it's also walking with him and doing what he's doing, becoming like him. So that's a picture for us of the big story. So why, why does this matter to us? I'll just say, say it like this. The original lie in Genesis 3 of the serpent was God does not love you. The original lie of the serpent in the garden was that God does not love you. He doesn't care about you. He is holding out on you. This is the root lie of our lives. So when we look at the God of the Bible, we see the good news of Jesus. We see a God who is initiating, pursuing. He's patient. He's persistent. He's present. He's not far He doesn't give up. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is Yahweh. He is holy, and yet he is persistently making himself low, gentle and humble of heart, so that we can come to him. This is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is what we were made for. And the sin that we walk in, sin sin just means missing the mark. And oftentimes we can think of, oh man, I didn't follow the Ten Commandments. That's why I missed the mark. That's true. But the greatest mark that's missed is that we actually are made for relationship with God. That's what we're made for. We're not made to do just a report card of straight A's. When we miss the mark, we chose to not want relationship with God. And instead, we chose to go our own way. That's the biggest mark that we're missing. And Jesus is calling us and inviting us again. This is the chief end of man, to enjoy God and glorify him forever. This is it. This is it. I'm restoring to you relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with this self-giving community of love called the Trinity. You guys still with me? Okay, I know we're we're zooming out. We're going to zoom back in. So what do we do here? How, why, why is it so significant? I just want to drive home the point that if we're going to walk with God, we need to learn first that God first loves us in Jesus and is calling us. And he's doing it over and over and over again. Just like a parent, just like uh, me with Bo, who's still learning how to walk, I am rejoicing over any inclination that he's, he's wanting to walk towards me. I'm just like, stop what I'm doing. Stop working. I'm like, he's walking. How much more is God like that with us? So number two, and the second point I want to I highlight here 
is that to walk with Jesus means to become a disciple of Jesus in community. To walk with Jesus means to become a disciple of Jesus in community. So that's point number two. Let's pull back up the scripture again in verse 18 where it says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. And then here Jesus says, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. If you've heard this passage before and, and uh, sometimes what we latch onto is like, wow, look at their response to leave their nets. Uh, if, so, if Jesus walked into my office and he said, leave your cubicle and come to me or leave your teaching station or whatever, yeah, that'd be pretty, uh, can I think about it? Do I need to talk to my principal? Like, uh, you know, do I need to talk to my boss? But really, uh, just to highlight a little bit more about what Jesus is doing, Jesus is calling them to be a disciple. And in those days, only the select few would make it to the, higher, um, to the highest place of being called a disciple to a rabbi. Think of it like the, the hardest collegiate schools or Ivy Leagues to get into. These are the ones that would be apprentices. These are the ones that would be disciples. And so in some ways, what Jesus is doing when he's calling, uh, when he's calling these brothers, Peter uh, and Andrew, to him, it's kind of like saying, okay, not that fisher, fishing is a bad trade, but it's kind of like leaving a potential dead-end job to say, hey, why don't you come with me? I want to give you a full-ride scholarship to the best university you can have. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to host you. I'm going to provide for you. You're going to stay with me, and you're going to be with me for that entire time. This is an opportunity of a lifetime. This is an opportunity of a lifetime that the invitation was only for a select few and Jesus is calling them to follow him. And what's amazing is that in Matthew 16, Jesus actually extends this invitation to everyone and says, whoever wants to be my disciple, you must pick up your cross, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. What's it worth to gain the whole world yet lose your soul? That's what Jesus said. So this incredible invitation, it's like, well, yeah, no brainer. I'm gonna drop my nets, see you later. The next set of brothers do the same thing. See you, dad leave you with the helpers there. I'm going with Jesus. It's a no-brainer for us. Just to say, it is an incredible opportunity for us to walk with Jesus together as a disciple. It's an incredible invitation. There is a cost to following Jesus. It's not a bait and switch. There is a cost to following him. There are things that you do need to give up. There are nets that you drop, right? I think we can all say that. I mean, the second set of brothers, James and John, leave their father in the boat. I'm sure that had to be a conversation to be ironed out later. You know, when you choose to follow Jesus, hopefully in the church, church there's rejoicing. There's rejoicing in heaven, but a lot of times in our communities and our families, there's, uh, there's opposition of some kind, sometimes worse than others. Sometimes there's persecution, and in some families, there's even a threat of uh, excommunication or death. But Jesus says that when you follow me, this is what you were made for, and that I will give to you everything that you've lost and then some in this life and in the life to come. So when we walk with Jesus together, there is a cost. There is a cost. We can't, and in, in the Dallas culture, I grew up in Dallas. I love Dallas. I feel called long-term 
to here. And at the same time, there is this uh, disconnect between being a Christian and being a disciple that really is a false distinction. It's not in the scripture of saying, I believe in Jesus. I believe in the overarching arc of the story of the Bible, but I'm not going to practice the way as a disciple. I'm not going to follow Jesus. I don't want to spend time with him. That's not in the Bible. In fact, Jesus said there's going to be people who say, Lord, Lord, and he's like, I don't know you. And so for us, I mean, that's, a, that, that, that's just scripture. I just want to be honest with you, church. We're made for more. And it's like, why? And it's not a heavy thing. It's like, why would you enter into the house? You know, you're like, if you're homeless and you enter into a house and you don't partake of coming to the table and eating with the family, that's like the point of it. You're in a family now. It's not just that you're like, oh, I got shelter from, from hell. I got shelter from all the consequences of sin. Yeah, that's, that's important, but you're in the family. You get to actually be in the family of God. That is the point. And that is how we walk out our faith. And so... I just, I feel like the Lord has just an encouragement for us as a, on this last part of together, and I'm going to begin to close and round the corner, but I just believe the Lord um, kind of surprised me with a, with a, it's an encouragement for all of us here. Um, I recently uh, was reading my kids a bedtime story, and uh, we got these books called My Bible Friends. It's like several volumes, and actually Amy had them when she was a kid, and she just always remembered the illustrations being super vivid. And so they're out of print, so we found them somewhere and paid uh, a little bit of money. But I was like, hey, that's an investment. We'll, we'll, we'll do that if you think it's, you know, if it's worth the money. And so we did, and as we got them, I was reading through them, and they were really good, but there was this one story of Jabal the shepherd in it. And I was like, I've never heard of Jabal the shepherd. I was like, what did we buy? Is this the Apocrypha? Like, I started looking through like all these, like what, what in the world? Like, I know my money back. I was like, babe, have you seen this? Like, what is Jabal the shepherd? I'm, I'm pretty sure he's not in the Bible. And sure enough, he's not in the Bible. So what are we teaching our kids? So the other scriptures are biblical. Um, so I'm like, I mean, the other stories are biblical. And so, uh, we go through those stories and I'm like, okay, I'm going to see what this J ball, the shepherd's about. And it's actually a mashup of Psalm 23 and the parable that Jesus tells of the shepherd that has a hundred sheep. And then he leaves 99 to go get the one. And as I'm reading it, I'm getting chills. Cause I feel like this is for me and this is for our church. So, uh, so not only did I end up reading it to my kids, I'm sharing it with you. So here we go. But here's, here's the thing that, that was really profound. It talks about just as a shepherd, there are three commands that he gives to the flock that they need to learn how to obey, all the sheep. Uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do them like it says in the, <laughs> in, in the book. Okay. So the first one is that as he leads the shepherd, as he leads the sheep out, he calls to them, tahu, tahu. Tahu, tahu. I don't think that's Greek or Hebrew. You know, I'm just saying, I don't know. That's just what the book says. Tahu, tahu. But what it means is, come to me. Come to me. And that was the focus of our, of our fast. And I was reading this during the last fast, just this come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary. Come to me. And he was saying, okay, the shepherd is moving. And he's saying, tahu, tahu. And all the sheep would begin to come to him and follow him. And then as he leads the sheep out, they would come to a pasture. 
And then he would say to the sheep, la, 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 la. And that meant lay down. And they're in this green meadow, the book describes, and the sheep are hungry, but they obey anyway. And what the shepherd does is he goes around and he scopes out the area. He stomps the ground with his staff for snakes or things that would harm the sheep. And then he cleans out the the pasture from weeds and things like that. And so he makes the sheep lie down. And just thinking about some of you, some of our church, I feel like last year was kind of a la-la year of us coming together and some of us even just needing a rest. But sometimes that is hard. Have you ever waited on something that you wanted right away? Have you ever tried to put down a child for nap? They don't want to go down. We have to trust that he knows what's best as a good shepherd. When he says, wait, we need to wait in the Lord and we will not be put to shame. So that was command number two. So we have come to me, lie down. And then the last one was when the sheep were in danger and a wolf attacked, he would mimic the sound of a wolf going, ow, ow, or something like that. That's my best effort. But he would say, and what the sheep would do when they were scared, what they would want to do is run and scatter and save themselves. But what that meant was that actually when he made that command, it meant press in. Head to head, get tight together so that no one could get picked off and the shepherd could come in and whack the wolf with his staff and protect them. And as I was sitting here thinking, I was like, I feel like this is not only for me, but it's for our church as we're walking with Jesus together. There are going to be times in the coming days and weeks where we will need to, one, he's saying, come to me and we're walking, that we are walking. We're putting steps in the motion. We're stumbling, we're falling, but we're walking together with Jesus. So he's saying, come to me. And some of you are in a place of waiting where he is preparing something for you. And I don't know what that would be, but we need to ask and ask and ask for him to, uh, to provide those things in his timing, but we also need to trust him and wait for him. And then there's also, there's going to be times where, where you're going to want to run, where we're going to want to scatter, but we need to press in together and let him be the one who's our defender. Let him be the one who rescues us. So I just wanted to share that. I feel like there's something there. Are you guys tracking with me? And so at the, end of the, at the end of the story of Jabal the shepherd, which I'm now repenting of, I was like, this is so good. He would go in, he would count the hundred sheep into the sheepfold, and he would dress their wounds with oil, and then he would make sure they were all counted. And in this story, there was one that was left. He went and gets the one that was left, and he brings them in. So Jesus is our good shepherd. He's calling us to himself, and there's other sheep from his flock that he's wanting us to help follow him as well. May that be a part of our focus this year. So where are we going from here? Just to close, we're going to walk with Jesus to know that he comes first to us, that when we walk with Jesus, he automatically puts us into a community. But there's also, okay, how do I actually do this in my day-to-day life? And there's actually relational rhythms that God gives us, that Jesus models for us, that we're to follow. And and when we look at the New Testament, there's actually five relational circles or rhythms where we live live out our faith. I remember growing up in, in Dallas, we would go to church on Sunday, and I would really want to follow Jesus, but I would be frustrated because I didn't know how to do it the rest of the days of the week. 
But in, this, uh, in these five circles, which we're going to about to go into over the next five, week, we see, five weeks, we see that Jesus is teaching us to walk with him together as one church family. And so the first circle is just your relationship with Jesus. May we be a people that our invisible life with God is bigger than our visible life to other people. There's, there's, there's a reward in the secret place. And so that's something that we're all going to grow in, but may we taste and see the goodness of God. So we're going to talk about that next week. We'll have Marshall Herndon come and preach that message. He lives this. It's a value of his. So I'm excited to hear from him. But it's, uh, we're going to talk about that first circle. It's the most important circle of your relationship with God. But it goes on from there. That next circle of relationship, which we'll do the following week, is called life-on-life discipleship. Life-on-life discipleship. Jesus invests in a few so that they can invest in others. And in fact, we're here right now in this room because Jesus invested in 12, and he invested in 72, then there was 500, and then at, uh, uh, in the book of Acts, there was 120 gathered, and the discipleship plan of Jesus multiplies and multiplies and multiplies. So we want to be disciples who also grow in making disciples, right? So that's number two, life-on-life discipleship. Circle three is that they see in, in the New Testament, in Acts, the church would meet house to house, not just on, in, a, in the synagogues on Sunday or at a church building like this. They opened up their homes. They had, they had the gift of hospitality. They ate meals together. And for us, this is our life groups. This is our small groups. So we're going to talk about how we can continue to walk out in uh, following Jesus in our life groups. And then number four, we call it the church gathered. This is where you're in, you're in circle four right now. Way to go. You're in the church gathered where there's something unique that happens when we get to all worship with one voice and hear the word of God opened up. So we're going to talk about that. And then the last circle is all these four circles lead up so that we can be witnesses in the world of who Jesus is, so that we can go out and uh, be ambassadors for Christ in every sphere that God's called us in. Uh, in school, in government, in neighborhoods, in families, and so on, like that we would learn how to walk with Jesus. So over the next five weeks, we're just going to take one circle at a time, and we're going to ha- say, God, would you help us to walk with you in, that, in these circles? You, got, you guys with me? Okay. Well, Ben, why don't you come on up, and we're going we're gonna to close by just responding to the Lord. We're going to respond to what he's saying to us. Um. And as I was praying about, uh, Lord, what do you have for, for our church this morning? Uh, I just was going back to that story of Jabel, going back to Bo walking. And I just feel like one of the things that God wants to highlight is just that original lie from Genesis 3 of that God does not love you. God is not here. God is not present. And that is, uh, that is from the enemy. And I just feel like the Lord wants to, again, as the good shepherd, call you and rejoice over you every time that you come to him and he's calling us to come to him. And just like Stephen said in worship, you know, with his kids, uh, even though we as parents want to meet their need, there's no end to their neediness. But actually, I think that's a gift. I think it's a gift for us to come to the Lord because he's coming wanting to take our burdens. He's wanting to help us. He's wanting to take the yoke off of our shoulders and give us his light and easy yoke. And so we're going to have our prayer and prophetic team up here. Uh, These men and women uh, just want to simply come before God 
on your behalf with you and bring your need before him. So if, you're, if there's a need in your heart, maybe it's something you're waiting for that you feel like is just, it's becoming too much to wait for. Maybe it's something that you need healing for. They're going to be up here and just encourage you, why not? Why not come up to the front and get prayer today? So wherever you're at, let's all stand together and we're going to close with a song of worship. So Father, thank you for just the, the overarching story of scripture. Thank you for the good news. Thank you that this is who you are, Jesus, that you invite us to walk with you. God, you invite us to, to follow you. And Lord, I pray, God, this morning, God, that you would come and meet your people. God, would you come and speak to us as we sing, come and speak to us as we pray. We love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.